life can be pretty tough. We're told to balance our careers, family, health, finances, and everything else. But in today's fast-paced world, is that even possible? This is The Smiley Connection, a podcast produced by the Smiley Professionals Network. On this show, we aim to answer that very question by learning from those that are already doing it so that you can grow both professionally and personally. We will interview inspiring leaders and share stories of success and moments of failure. We will pick up life lessons for how you can grow in your career and move forward in your journey. Most importantly, we'll share insights into how we can lift each other and give back to our community. Welcome to The Smiley Connection. Hey everyone, Yali Madad. It's Sony Gossam here, your host. I hope you're all well. Fall is here, depending on where you are in the world. That means school is back in session for most students. Some are beginning the start of their college years, and others are about to start their final year at school as they try to figure out their life plan. And if you're anything like me, you might have already started planning your whole career since you were a kid. But that might not be the case for everyone. Some might still be looking for their calling, or trying to persuade their parents of a non-traditional career path, and some might be considering switching careers and taking a leap of faith for something more exciting and dynamic, and still, for others, translating their talents and skills into a rewarding career is an ongoing process. So why am I talking about this? If you relate to any of those categories, or even if you don't, and you're just looking for a story of triumph, then keep listening, because this episode is for you. I chatted with Shireen Kassam, also known as the Funny Brown Girl. You may have seen her MC at one of the shows in Lisbon for Diamond Jubilee. She's a comedian, actress, and a businesswoman. She's had a lot of experience working in the corporate world. And right now, she's a strategic marketing manager for Disney's streaming services, like Disney+. Plus. But above all, creativity fuels her life. She's come a long way, though, she chatted about struggling to get her parents on board with her passion and comedy. She shared her journey in not only being a female comedian, but also a Muslim female comedian. She also talked about how her passions and creativity have informed her life choices. And because of that, she's really happy. It was pretty inspiring. And before we take a listen, I just want to disclose that this episode was recorded in the summer of 2019. So some details may have changed. Thank you so much, Shireen, for being on here today. We really appreciate it. No worries. So who are you and what do you do? Who am I? That's a good question. I would describe myself as a creative hustler. I just love being creative. So anything that I have the opportunity to be creative in, so whether it's stand-up comedy, whether it's doing improv, speaking engagements, hosting a podcast, being on the radio, acting, anything that comes my way that has a creative spin to it is something that really just excites me. Even my job right now, my nine to five is a creative role. I started my own business that's in the creative space. And yeah, I would just call myself a creative hustler. I hope one day I can be a creative hustler too. <laughs> oh yeah. You have to just say that's what you want to do and then do it. Is that what happened for you? Like one day you just woke up and you're like, I want to be a creative hustler and you just made it happen. Kind of. I mean, I never was very creative growing up. I remember like growing up in art class, I'd always get in trouble because I couldn't color within the lines. Like that was the biggest memory I have about being creative is like, <laughs> why couldn't I stay within the lines? And then my parents never really pushed creativity on me. It was always go to school and then play sports. My parents were big on sports sports and then got to college, still didn't really have a creative aspect to me. I wanted to do a creative writing class. I remember that my senior year in college and my dad was like, yeah, we're not paying tuition for you to learn how to write. Like you're going to take a class that's going to help you in your life and in business. And that's just not it. 
So I didn't become a creative until I was like in my late 20s and it just happened one day. It was not even something I was looking for. I just decided, you know what, I want to try this because I never got to do it. And then I fell in love with it. I fell in love with being a creative. So what was that moment that made you feel like you wanted to try it? So I was actually at a comedy show. It was the first time I'd ever been to a comedy show. I'd never seen live stand up before. And this was like pre-Netflix. I'm kind of old. So this was before (laughs) you could just turn on the TV and see what stand up comedy was. You actually had to put on clothes and then go out, buy a ticket and then sit in a show. And I was watching this. Yeah, it it was actually a lot of effort. I actually (laughs) didn't want to go that night. It was one of those things that I had been persuaded to do and was like reluctantly going to it. Because I was just like, what is comedy? And why would I sit there and watch this and pay $20? It was the $20, I think, that really got to me. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there watching this comedy show. And there's like 10 white men who get on stage. And each guy sounds the same. They're talking about the same issues with their privileged life and their dogs and like they're dating. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know what? I actually have something to say. This was post 9-11. I was living in Boston and I was just like, you know, I I have a lot to say and this would be a great way to actually go and say it. And so I decided to take a class on how to be a stand-up comedian. And then that led me to taking a creative writing class. And then I took an improv class. And before you know it, I was on stage doing comedy like every night. And it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. That's awesome. So would you say that your desire to be a comedian started because you kind of wanted to change what you were seeing and kind of change the narratives as to what it means to be a comedian versus being born with a funny bone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nobody ever said I was funny. Like growing up, nobody was ever like, you're the class clown or you're funny or you should do comedy. And I look back on that and now people are like, oh, you're so funny. And I'm like, well, where were you in my (laughs) teens and early twenties? Like how come nobody said that to me? (laughs) But I think for me, yeah, it was definitely the latter. I definitely, I felt like I wanted to have a voice post 9-11. I wanted to have a voice as a Muslim American woman. And I just felt that that was missing in society and people just were making their own assumptions of who we were. And I wanted to change that narrative. But I think because I stepped out of my shell a little bit to do comedy, I think it's also helped me as a person just step out of my shell and who I am too. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that when we're put into situations that are outside of comfort zones, we really do learn more about ourselves and kind of like solidify who we were meant to be in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you said that your friends never really told you that you were a funny person when you were younger. So when you first started taking these classes and getting into the comedy scene, was there ever a point in time where you thought to yourself, I'm not really that funny. How am I going to do this? (laughs) No, I actually think I'm hilarious. I never, (laughs) I never questioned myself because the class was a really safe place to learn comedy and like Mm -hmm. be around people. And then you do this class at the end of the class, there's usually a graduation show. And so at the graduation shows when you kind of get on stage in front of a very safe audience of people. And it was at that moment where people were just laughing and roaring and totally like in love with what I was doing. That's when I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing on stage. I will say though, on the flip side, it's funny you asked me that question because I was just talking to a friend. I was like, people sometimes don't believe me when I tell them I'm a comedian. And it's because I still carry a very professional demeanor because I never know who I'm speaking to. And so I don't want to come across as like, I don't take myself seriously, even though I don't. So it's, it, it is funny because I'm not funny on a day-to-day, like hour-to-hour basis, but I think I work hard enough at my joke writing to be funny on stage. So how long does it take to memorize a joke? I've always wondered that. <laughs> 
Well, I think it depends on how you write the joke. So if you really love your joke and you're like fully invested in it, it shouldn't take you more than one or two times on stage to get it right. I mean, when I say get it right, it's like the annotations, the right wording, where you're going to pause, all that stuff. And so how do you draw inspiration from your life when you're writing your jokes? I literally will pull out my phone and write notes down anytime I have a conversation with anybody who is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you can share about a moment where you met someone or had a situation in your life that was totally off the top and it formed your joke writing? I would say that where I tend to write my best jokes are actually on airplanes because I always have a very stressful time getting from checking in my luggage to actually getting on the plane. Mm -hmm. And so there's just always, I just always find I have a hilarious, it's not hilarious at the time. At the time I'm like ready to cry or hit somebody, like especially with TSA. And then when I sit <laughs> on the plane and I've got like three hours or seven hours to think about what just happened, that's when I actually write some of my best stuff. Yeah, that's very interesting. My boyfriend on his way back from a work trip to Miami was in the airport and he was like ordering something at Starbucks and left his suitcase at Starbucks and like walked away and went to a different part of the terminal and half an hour later realized I don't have my bag with me. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you, it's a, it's a huge thing. How do you just forget about it? So anyways, he like tried to retrace his step. So he went back to Starbucks and there were like, I guess, police opening up his suitcase, looking through it with one of those, um, like the dogs. Uh -huh. uh, it was just crazy. Yeah, that's, in that's intense. That's extreme. I mean, I've had those situations happen a few times, but only because I thought you were going to say he left his bag and went to put sugar in his coffee. I did that once. I left my skateboard and just went to put sugar in my coffee and that caused an outrage. Like really? people were like, what skateboard is this? Oh my God, we have to call security. And I'm like, I'm right here. Like I'm literally like not even 10 feet away from it. Like relax. Yeah. Especially as a skateboard, like what would be in it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you said that you've also uh, toured internationally for your comedy. Do you have a favorite place that you've been to? Yeah, I would say actually this summer in April and May, I actually got the chance to go to Kenya and South Africa. And I would say Cape Town, South Africa is probably my most favorite place to perform. I've seen like pictures and everything looks so beautiful out there. Yeah, it's great. I mean, what I love about South Africa is there's just so much history with apartheid and just everything even still going on today. There's just so much history, but when you put everybody in a room together and you start telling jokes, it's like everybody's able to come together and just for a minute, just understand each other. And that's what I actually really love about comedy too. Even in America, it's like, for that 30 minutes to an hour, people can put down their guard, just come in and everybody's an equal and understands what's happening in society and can laugh about it together. And you said you've went to Kenya as well, right? Yeah, in Kenya, I didn't get a chance to perform comedy. In Kenya, I was speaking about creativity, so about the future of creativity and then how can the people of Kenya get on board in terms of like how to be creative and how to spur their businesses forward using creative measures like podcasting and creative design and just anything in the creative space. So not only are you making people laugh, but you're also helping others in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think that's what I would love to do long term. I mean, I know I can't be a comedian forever. I don't want to be like a decrepit, like 65 year old having arthritis. <laughs> I have a hard time just leaving my house as it is now. And, and I'm in my 30s. I can't imagine my 60s. Like it's 11 o'clock. I have to go out and do comedy. <laughs> I love just being able to inspire other people to be creative. So I have a podcast, for example. One of the reasons I started the podcast was I wanted to give people a way to be mentored and develop a network and be inspired, even if they didn't have those people in their social circle. So for example, I interview creatives of color who are winning. So they come on and they share successful strategies. Rizwan Munji has been on my show, Sarah Thauer, who's the Ismaili drummer, 
I've had Maz Jobrani, a comedian, James Lopez from Will Packer Productions who produced Girls Trip. And the idea is just to share strategies and inspiration to help people understand like they too can go and be successful as a creative and here's how you can do it. And here are people that you can actually reach out to and talk to. That's awesome. For listeners who don't know, Shireen has a podcast called Creative Breakthrough. So because you've probably interviewed a lot of other creatives and artists, is there anything that you've learned from them? It takes time. Nobody I've talked to has been an overnight success. It sounds like they've been an overnight success because you all of a sudden just hear about them one day, but they've been putting in so much time and energy in the background. Like Maz Jobrani got his big break maybe four or five years ago, but he had been performing comedy for 20 years. James Lopez, he's the producer at Will Packer Productions, so for Girls Trip and Little, he had been working at a call center and he worked his way up from a call center to becoming the president of Will Packer Productions. And that was over a span of 20 years. And so everybody's putting in the time, but we see these social media stars and these influencers and YouTube stars, and we think that it's so easy. And it's really just not. It's really about just, it's about putting in that time and effort and hustling and just relying on doing good work. I like the point that you mentioned that when we're on social media, especially in our generation, we're scrolling through Instagram, we see people happy overseas on some fancy boat or something. And we're just like, why can't my life be that amazing? Or <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Or something like that. So I think that's, that's really helpful for people to listen to and, and understand that it really does take time and we have to be patient. Yes. Patience is a big thing. And getting off social media, like that's the, that's your biggest enemy comparison being like, why does he or she get to do that? Or how did she or he or she get to do that? Half the time that stuff's made up. Half the time people are just spinning a story to make it seem like they're doing really cool stuff. And I've caught people Photoshop those kind of pictures. I mean, what does it get you? It gets you nothing. But if you actually put in the time and effort, you could actually become something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any social media detoxes? Yeah, well, actually, I don't have any detoxes, but I only try to be on social media at night. There's an hour between when I'm like getting ready to go to bed and actually going to bed where I'll just scroll through it and make my posts and stuff and make sure things are taken care of. But other than that, I actually forget about social media. The only reason I actually have to be on social media is to make sure I don't miss anything in terms of like shows and posts about myself and things like that. And then because my social media manager sometimes will email me and be like, you need to post something because people are unfollowing you. So let's go. Chop, chop. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't really have any detoxes. I think you get to a point where you're just so busy focusing on yourself that you realize that social media is just a time drain. And that's just something you'll come, you make that conclusion yourself, I think. Yeah. I also feel like people who probably spend too much time on social media channels, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, like all that time could be spent towards doing something else to better yourself. And it seems like because you're so busy doing amazing things and, you know, you're, you're living out your dream. Um, that's why you don't have time to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. I think that's half of it. I just don't have time. I sometimes will get on Facebook if I'm on the toilet or at a red light. <laughs> like those are my two like <laughs> places. Funny that you mentioned that. Cause sometimes when I'm like, I got to run to the bathroom and I'm like, but I need my phone. <laughs> yes. it's the perfect time because it's like quick that's all the time you get to be on social media and then that's it so in addition to comedy and in addition to um, being a podcaster you also have your nine-to-five job and so what do you do when you're not cracking jokes (laughs) 
<laughs> so I work for Walt Disney World here in Orlando, Florida, and I am running the integration of Disney Plus, which is our new streaming service across the parks and resorts. So again, like I'm really blessed that it is a creative role where I get to be part of this new product that's in the creative space, but also get to be part of this idea of us creating our own new original content as well. Does it ever get hard to balance your day job with your side <laughs> projects or, you know, I guess they're not side projects anymore, but with your dual identity? It does sometimes. I think sometimes they overlap, which is good, but sometimes there's like, there's definitely days when I'm at work and then my agent will call me and be like, I need you across town for an audition and I can't do the audition because I already have meetings set up. And then obviously there's times when I need to travel for comedy and then I've got to take time off from work. So there's definitely a balance to it. What I've really learned that helps me and where I've been the most successful is when I have leaders who are open to my side life, to my outside life, my nighttime life, and they're willing to work with me on scheduling and being flexible. And so that to me has been really, really beneficial is those open conversations in the interviews where I'm like, okay, I really want this job, but I just want you to know I do this stuff too. And some days I may have to leave work early or I may not be able to work at night, but I will get the job done and making sure that they can see that right away that you will still get the job done. And that's very useful advice for, for any of our listeners who probably are thinking about going into comedy and trying to balance that or even any other kind of side project and trying to balance that with their day jobs. So when you started going into comedy, what were you doing at the time in terms of your day job? And was it difficult to try to balance your day job at that time as you were trying to take classes and get your I guess, comedic life or comedic aspirations up and running. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny you say that. When I first started doing comedy, it was the most stressful thing ever. One, I was working for a startup company at the time. So it was a really small company. There was only like seven or eight of us. And so the partners had this ideology that you should be working all the time. Like you should... You shouldn't have a life because they were putting their souls into this business so that we should also be putting our souls into this business. So they would expect you to be working like till seven, eight o'clock at night, then going home and working more. We would have 6.30 a.m. meetings in the mornings. Emails would be flying all night. My partners, like the partners of the company, like didn't sleep. I don't know how they functioned. And when I did comedy, I actually didn't go by my real name. I started calling myself the funny brown girl because I didn't want anybody to ever find out that I was doing comedy. Like I was so scared that if they found out that they would fire me or that they would make me stop doing it. And I don't know, I had all these stories in my head and luckily they never found out, but then I actually ended up getting laid off, which was the best thing ever. Cause then I was like, okay, now I can breathe. Like now I can actually go live my life and find another job. That's like going to be okay with having a life outside of work. It's kind of like the universe was trying to tell you, hey, forget about this job. You have bigger and better things ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think they took that job away from me for a lot of reasons. So I, I, I will say that when you get laid off in that moment, it was the most frustrating thing ever because I was their first employee. Like these two people were like, I'm starting this business. And they came to me and they're like, will you be our first employee and help us start this business? And then to be laid off, I was just so angry at them. And then like the next day I was like, it's like the best thing ever. Like to be laid off is like perfect because it gives you time to just slow down and think about what you want to do next. And it's not like being fired. It's, it's that they could not afford to keep you because you're so valuable, you know, and now you can go and find something even better. So how do your parents react to what you do? And, <laughs> and do they always feel the same way um, that they do now? 
Uh, well, that's a good question. So actually, it's been a long journey. They have finally become okay with the fact that I do comedy. And I think for them, my parents came from East Africa, and then they left when Idi Amin came into power. And since then, their whole motto in life is just the American dream and being successful and making sure their kids were successful and they never had to struggle. And so for them, I think when I first started doing comedy, they were really nervous that oh my God, she's throwing away her education. She's throwing away everything we gave her. She's not focused. And like, they were really big on after I graduated from my undergrad that I would go back and get my MBA. Like that was my dad's dream. You were going to go back and get your MBA. And then I don't know, since then my mom has a new dream where I need to go get my PhD. And they were just so nervous that I was falling off the track, if you could say that. And so when I actually started doing comedy, it's funny, I actually never told them I was doing comedy. I kept it a secret for almost two years. They never knew what I was doing. <laughs> they just thought I was working a lot, which I was doing too, but they didn't know how I was spending my time. And then one day they found out, um, somebody sent them a, a link to my, to my video and oh, man. Yeah, and it was bad. And they were so disappointed in me. And there was disappointment from a lot of ends. There was disappointment that they found out from somebody else. There was disappointment that they themselves didn't understand what stand-up comedy was. All they understood was, I'm in a bar full of strangers. It's late at night. There's nobody protecting me. There was that worry factor. We actually kind of stopped talking for a little bit about it. Like we, they stopped speaking to me. They were just super angry. And I understand like looking back, like they were just nervous. Like what is she doing? She's supposed to be studying to go back and getting her master's. So I did go back and get my master's and then I have this great job. And now I think they're at a point where they're like, okay, you know, she's, she's okay. She's figured it out. She's stable. She's making her mortgage payments on time. She's got a good job. And I think that, that helped. And then it also helped that last year was the Diamond Jubilee Arts Festival. And I had the chance to perform there. And I think for them, that was that was key. That was like, okay, you know, the Jamaat accepts her now too. The Jamaat is behind her and what she's trying to do. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. We've definitely had that journey and there's a lot of bad communication and I will take some of that fault. Just like doing things secretly. I know. It's not fun. It's not like I'm sneaking around anymore under the funny brown girl disguise. It's like now people know me. It's, it's I don't know. It, it lost that mystique. Yeah, because now that you're exposed, everybody knows you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best part about what you do? About the comedy or just everything? Everything. Since you do so much. <laughs> I think the best part is I'm happy. Like I've created this life that I want to lead and I've made all the decisions. So like comedy, podcasting, acting, radio, I'm my own boss. I get to decide what do I want to talk about? Who do I want to talk to? Where do I want to perform? And I make those decisions. And because of that, I'm just happy. Like nobody's dictating to me how I should live my life. If I want to go try something, I think we talked about this. I have a whole list of things I want to still do. Like I want to write a book. I want to write my own TV pilot and then act in it. I'm going to go and do all that. And that's going to make me happy. And nobody's going to be able to say you can't do that. Um, I mean, people at work can tell me I can't do things, but like, <laughs> but they pay me. <laughs> but they're paying me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they're not mean about it. <laughs> that is, that is very nice to have. Um, you, so you mentioned that you are also an actor. So how did you get into acting and what have you acted in? So I got into acting because I was doing comedy and I was starting to think, okay, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if I see myself being a comedian for the rest of my life because it is a, it's a hard life. I mean, you're traveling every weekend, you're staying at hotels. I mean, you're on a flight every Thursday morning and then back every Sunday night or Monday morning. And I just didn't know if that was the life I wanted. 
And so I started thinking, okay, what's the next step? And the next step is you can be a comedian on TV. So you can be on a sitcom. And so I said, okay, well, how will I be a comedian on a sitcom? If I move to LA or tomorrow, if somebody sees me on stage and says, I want you on the sitcom, I wanted to be ready. So I decided I'm going to go take acting classes. So I took a bunch of acting classes, got an agent. And then since then, I've just been performing a lot in like web series. There's a web series online. It's called Drop. I've done a few short films and then some commercials. And so it's just it's just trying to figure out how do you be prepared for that next opportunity? So my goal, right, like I said, is to write a TV pilot and then act in it. So I'm working on, okay, I need to figure out if I do sell my TV pilot, am I ready to act in it? And now I can say, yes, I am. So it's you have to think ahead sometimes. Like, how do you separate yourself from the crowd? If they're going to pick two comedians to come audition for this sitcom, I want to have all the skill sets ready to to get it. So always being self-aware about the skills that you have and trying to figure out if I want to get from point A to point B or point A to C, D, E, F, like how do I get to all those points and what do I need to refine about myself uh, yes. instead of waiting until the opportunity arises? It's like kind of getting those opportunities arise for yourself. You yes, know. you said it in such a better way. Take my answer out and just put yours. In. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think your answer was great. <laughs> so what is your advice to either people who are kind of just at the start of their careers um, and you know, are doing things because their parents want them to do it or because they think it's the right career path, but deep down inside, it's not really what they want to do. Or for people who have been in the workforce for five to 10 years and are thinking of actually pursuing what brings them joy, what would you say helped you out when you were going through all the various experiences you went through to get to the point that you're in today? Wow, that's a deep question. I won't say it's easy. Like, it's not easy to get to a point where you're just like, I'm happy and I'm excited to do what I do every day. It does take some time, but I think that if you want it, you can go get it. Like, you have to put a stake in the ground and say, this is what will make me happy. And then you have to go and make it happen. You can't just sit at your desk job and hope that somebody's going to recognize you and realize, like, you're the perfect person. For example, the job I have currently, I went and I fought for it. And that's how I did it with comedy, even acting. It was never, I was going to just be an actress. It was like, how am I going to go take classes and get better at it? And then I would say, you've got to communicate with your parents. And then it's so hard. I, I'm like, my eye is twitching just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> it is a hard conversation. I And I know some parents are a little bit more like the new generation of parents that maybe are a little bit more lax, but you have to understand where they're coming from. They, they've worked so hard to make sure that we have this successful life and that we're taken care of and that we get to live the American dream. And they're just so worried about us. And sometimes it doesn't come across that way. You think they're dictating our lives, but at the end of the day, they're just worried about us. And so it's just having those conversations. It's like building out a business plan. It's like saying to them like, okay, I got my undergrad degree. I got my master's degree. I have a great job. I want to do this on the side. And then if it, if it gets to a point where I'm doing really well, let's talk about it again, kind of, you know what I mean? Like you're making a pitch. And that sounds weird to talk to your parents like that, but they just want to make sure that you're okay. And I think that was the hardest struggle realizing that like they're not dictating what I can and cannot do. They just want to make sure that when they pass away that I have a roof over my head and that I'm being taken care of. Mm -hmm. I think that was really well said. So have your parents ever been to your comedy shows? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, it's funny. I think they've seen my YouTube video. It definitely, I think they definitely have because it made its rounds in their, into their email box multiple times. They actually saw me for the first time last year at the Diamond Jubilee Arts Festival. So they had 
we had the auditions in Florida and Orlando. And so they'd asked me to do a four minute comedy set, which was like the most stressful show I think I'd ever done in my life. And my parents ended up being in the audience. They were like, oh, okay, you're good. You're funny. Good. Okay. I think they were just relieved that I was funny. Like, I think they were just like, oh my God, I hope she is funny. And all these people don't think that she's just awful. (laughs) How many people were in that audience? I would say maybe 200, 250. Wow. Um, was Is that like the largest that you've done? Oh, no. So that was the Orlando Diamond Jubilee event, which then you went to L.A. and performed again in L.A. And then the finals, like the, the big celebration was in Lisbon. So Lisbon actually would have been the biggest. I think there was about 5,000 people. Oh, my God. That's a lot. That's a so. lot. <laughs> Do you ever get stage fright? Not really. I definitely get those bubbles in my stomach and like that nervous feeling. But the minute I'm on stage and I get that first laugh, I'm totally set. I I love it. Do you feel like your adrenaline is just pumping and you're just like, I'm ready to go? Yes. No, my adrenaline definitely is pumping. For me, like being on stage and making people laugh is better than skydiving. Like I've gone skydiving and I just don't, I just didn't understand what the big thrill was. I was like, this is boring. I can get on stage and make 5,000 people laugh. Like, what are we doing? Wow. Just unfazed by falling through the air. (laughs) Yeah. Skydiving. I don't know. You like, literally you think you're falling, but it's only for a minute. You're basically free falling for about a minute and a half. And then you're just, you're strapped onto this person that you don't know. And then you're just like hanging out in the sky, making small talk. And you're just kind of like, okay, can we just get back now to the ground? Cause I'm bored. I, I don't want to <laughs> talk to you anymore. Like I'm, I've seen enough of the ocean and the water and the greenery and yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any comedians that you look up to? Oh man. So many, I would say my favorites would be Chris Rock. I just, I love how he just says whatever is on his mind and he's very like political and He doesn't mind like ruffling feathers. Dave Chappelle, for sure. His joke writing is just on point. He's one of the best joke writers out there. And then I would say Ellen. And I say Ellen because she overcame a lot to be who she is today. And not only is she on TV with her own show and she's hosted the Oscars. I mean, she's a clean comedian who took an obstacle that people actually really held against her in the 90s when she was coming up and was able to overcome that. And just she's been able to make it who she is today. Mm -hmm. Our experiences shape us into who we are. And then being a Muslim comedian, was it ever challenging to have that identity and to break Mm. out in space? (laughs) Yes. I never really felt it until I moved to the South. So like Boston was cool. Anywhere I've performed in the world has been okay. I mean, I've done all over the United States, like Chicago, New York, California, I've been out to Toronto, Vancouver, UK, Portugal, Asia, Africa, never had a problem. Then I got to the South and oh my God, it has been the most tiring like fight ever. Sometimes the audience members just get so riled up. Like they can love me and think I'm amazing. And then the minute I mention I'm Muslim, oh, all arms go up. People are just in protest. Like, can't believe we let her in here. Like get rid of the Muslim, move her out. Like I actually got banned from a club in Melbourne, Florida because these 14 people at a table just got so irate about the fact that I was Muslim and had the nerve to say that I was Muslim on stage. So how does that make you feel in that moment when that happens? Like, what do you do? Because I feel like I would just freeze up. Oh, yeah, I get super angry. I when there was an incident actually maybe a year ago, actually here in Orlando, Florida, where this guy got in my face and threatened to kill me. I just gave it back to him and I knew he could hit me. I mean, he was a he was ex-army or ex-navy, I forget, but like a big stocky guy right in my face. And I was just like, you know, I'm not going to take this. At the end of the day, like this is a comedy show and I'm allowed to say what I want to say. And if that upsets you, then we can talk about it 
human to human, person to person, but there is no reason to be so upset. And he actually didn't take that lightly. Like he got even more irate with me because I wasn't being intimidated by him. Um, and it definitely made me angry because of him. I got banned from performing at that club. And so now you're stepping on my career and you're stepping on my joy. But at the end of the day, I was like, at least I stood up for myself and I didn't allow him to make me apologize. Cause I've had, I've had two incidences where the club was like, well, we'll let you perform back here again if you apologize. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna apologize for being Muslim. Like that's just not what I'm going to do right now. So you can ban me and that's fine because people are still calling you asking me when I'm going to perform and then I'm just going to move them to a different club. So that's on you. Oh, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Like you can't apologize for being yourself. Yes. And that takes a long time to get to that point. I won't lie. Like it, you have to be super confident in who you are. But people sometimes feel like it's easier just to apologize and squash the situation and move on. But I think we live in a society today where we have to stand up for who we are and being Muslim is not a bad thing. And if people think it is, then it's our job to explain to them why they're wrong. I think that's very important. So what's one thing that keeps you motivated and inspired? Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> I like asking deep questions. <laughs> I think for me, what keeps me motivated is just staying happy, to be honest. Like if you told me I couldn't perform comedy anymore or I couldn't be a creative anymore, I would just be really sad. <laughs> and so being motivated is being able to share my talents with the world and then helping other people. So inspiring other people through my podcast. And I have a Facebook group too. It's called Creative Breakthrough Community, where I help people kind of just like find new competitions and like scholarships and things like that. And for me, it's just how do I keep being a better version of myself? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you ask yourself that often or do like a self check-in every so often? I do. I tend to ask myself that a lot because I live by this mindset kind of where every day I have to be better than I was yesterday in terms of like, okay, did I gossip yesterday? And I, I really try not to. And so it's like, okay, today I'm going to try not to gossip. Um, did I pray yesterday? If I forgot, then today I have to do that. And so I, I tend to self-check in a lot. Like, did I perform yesterday? I didn't. So today I have to perform. Like you said, checking in to make sure I'm still like moving forward. I just don't like to become complacent because I feel like once I become complacent, then I'm not going to get anywhere. <laughs> so are there any books or movies or other podcasts that you've listened to as you were trying to break into comedy that helped you? Yes. If you want to be a comedian, I think one of the best books out there, it's called The Comedy Bible. It's by Judy Carter. It's probably one of the best books. And Judy Carter is a comedian as well. And she actually does a lot of webinars now, too. And they're free. But the book will teach you like how to set up a joke, how to structure it, how to get your five minutes ready, how to get on stage. It has everything in it. And then if our listeners were interested in connecting with you, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. You can find me on Instagram, funny brown girl. You can slide into my direct messages and I'll hit you back. Or if you don't have Instagram, I'm on Facebook, Shireen Kassam. LinkedIn, you can find me as well. My website is funnybrowngirl.com. Actually, that's the best place. Just go to funnybrowngirl.com. You can get my contact information, my podcast, everything. Sounds great. And last question, because this would not be in a smiley podcast if I didn't <laughs> ask this. <laughs> so is there a way in your life that you follow through on Hazramam's teachings or moments where you kind of give back to the community? Oh, that's a deep question too. My goodness. <laughs> so me giving back to the community is more about like, how can I use my skill set to give back? So I really give back by like speaking at events like IPN events or youth programs or like hosting the Diamond Jubilee events. Like what can I do that 
allows me to use my skill set. And then how can I inspire people? Like I love sitting down with people about education and like how to fill out a college application or how to career plan and create your journey and stuff like that. Like that stuff is what I love giving back doing, you know, find, find ways that you can give back that, um, that kind of relate to who you are. I hosted the Diamond Jubilee talent shows in Portugal last summer. Probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. I was ready to be like, okay, I can, I can quit doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> You've made it. You're done. That was just such an awesome opportunity. It was just such a cool thing to be recognized by the community for what you do and your talents. And, and I think it helps solidify for every artist that performed and for artists to come that, okay, you can be an artist in this community and we have a platform now and Hazra Mom is behind it and the council is behind it and people want to see you succeed. And this is what it's become. And I wish this existed 10 years ago, but the fact that it exists now is just so cool because it gives us a platform to go show our talents. Yeah, I think it is very awesome. I think it definitely shows people that they should follow their passions and that there isn't one track, that they don't all have to just be you know, into math and science, that they can be into art, they can be rappers, they can be singers, they could be artists um, or comedians. Um, You know, it kind of reminds me of that story that you shared earlier about how you didn't color inside the lines. I think that's like a perfect analogy for sort of your life and how (laughs) your parents wanted you to be a businesswoman. And, And yes, you are. But you also have that passion. And even to be a comedian and to go into creative things like having a podcast and going to acting. And I think that little story of young Shireen coloring outside the lines. <laughs> you know, it's just like it was kind of embedded in you that you wanted to go outside the box, outside of what was kind of expected of you to do and, and go out there and do things that made you happy. Yeah, I know. I love that. I said she always gave me a B and then my mom would get mad and not give me my money for getting straight A's. <laughs> <laughs> you had a money system in your house, A's equal money? Oh, yeah. No, you only got money if you got all A's. You didn't, get, you didn't even get like a hug if you got a B. <laughs> Oh. We ran yeah. a very strict household here at the Kassam family. <laughs> it's it's funny because no relation to you, obviously, but yeah, I have my own Kassam family. And yeah, it's like, I remember when I was a kid, A's was all that I had to get. And I remember in school, if, if people had A's and B's, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I got A's and B's. This was a great year. And I'm like, oh, oh no, <laughs> not a good year for me if I get that one B. Nope. Um, <laughs> And I, and I appreciate what my parents said. I mean, some people are probably listening to this and be like, your parents were so hard on you. No, if, if they hadn't been hard on me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I give everything to them for raising me the way they raised me. That's beautiful. And I'm, I'm sure that they're proud of having you as their daughter, especially so. now that they've seen that everyone else is so <laughs> proud of you too. <laughs> Um, I think they, they like the free, the, not the free trips, but I think they like going on the trips with me now too. So like they got to come to Lisbon. Um, I went to, when I went to Nairobi, I was actually speaking at an IPN event. So my mom got to come with me. So I think they, they like the perks now too. <laughs> <laughs> what is one message that you want listeners to take away? One message. Okay. I'm going to give you two. One, listen to my podcast. It's amazing. And two, go live your life. Even if it's baby steps, even if you have to start small and every day, it's just like, let's say you want to be a film producer. So maybe it's every day you're just going to read a script. And then after that, it's like, you're going to take a script writing class. And then after that, you're going to start watching a lot of films and taking notes, but every day, just start doing something that brings you closer to what's going to make you happy and make you feel like you are using the talent that God gave you. I feel already motivated, inspired by you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here today, Shireen. This was a really wonderful conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. If you'd like to learn more about Shireen, you can visit funnybrowngirl.com. You can also check out her podcast, Creative Breakthrough. 
Thank you all so much for listening. If you liked this episode of The Smiley Connection, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a new episode. You can find the podcast under the Smiley Podcast channel on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Show us some love by rating the show and please leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. So drop us a line at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. And if you're still not a member of this Smiley Professionals Network, then what are you waiting for? Go sign up. It's free. This episode was written by me and edited by Cassa Lee. Our cover art is designed by Nadia Khan and Shaquille Momud. Our marketing is also by Shaquille and Amber Varani. We also want to give a shout out to Zoha Momin, who has been patiently managing this massive project from the start, and Farhan Manjiani, who has helped oversee it. Our theme music is the funky podcast intro by Robert Reed. Other music included in this episode are Forever in My Heart by Azella, Daydreamer by Nomin, Typhoon by Erling, Positive Rock by Ashama Love Music, and Detective also by Ashama Love Music. Also, thank you to Fez Megani and Salim Murji for one of the tracks used in the show. This podcast would not have been possible without the teamwork and help from the people who believed in it. And for that, we're grateful.